So I fall so hard, the employees wanna find me. And then wanna hire me. What's 100k to a guy like me? Could you please remind me? Fall so hard, this ain't easy. Working late nights, you best believe me. My grades can only go ace. Never wanna see another B unless I'm Jay-Z. Thank you guys, and welcome to another form so hard. Fun in the sun of it. Of course, it's just one of the much of this is much of the boring part, I should say, or the more talkative part, but we're going to try to make it very interactive and fun and just have a good time. Again, we've talked about this before, but we don't want this to be anything that's like you're sitting in a lecture. It's more so of us just having a good time, having a few beers, talking, and then we'll figure out other things we can get into after this. So, of course, for you guys who I haven't met before, I'm Jim Pruitt, uh, founder and uh, the host of Farm So Hard, and I've come all the way from Charleston, South Carolina, a three-hour drive to Charlotte to come out here to sunny, very surprisingly hot. <laughs> so super excited. Everyone that's, that's joining us in, uh, in Zoom, thank you guys for coming. And again, anyone who's watching this after, welcome. And we're super excited to, to be here. But we're going to talk about something a little unique. But before we jump into the episode, we're going to introduce everyone on the panel. Uh, I'm, I'm a guest here. These are these are the, the men who's you know been here for a while, taking care of things. So uh, Lance, go ahead and kick, kick us off. Hey, uh, Lance Ray, uh, clinical pharmacy specialist at uh, Denver Health, just a couple blocks away. I've been there two years on the residency program director for the PGY Emergency Medicine program. Uh, I was at University of College, University of Colorado, uh, emergency department for about four years before that, and then. Uh, out for nine years in Texas, uh, emergency medicine, as well as an assortment of other things, um, trained at the University of Texas and the Health Science Center in San Antonio. <laughs> I can go next. My name is Andy Kim. I'm also a clinical pharmacy specialist at Denver Health, uh, but I practice in the medical ICU there. Um, I'm originally from the Kansas City metro area, born and raised, um, did my undergraduate at the University of Kansas pharmacy school at University of Minnesota and residency training at Frederick and Medical College of Wisconsin. So both first and second year critical care residency. Um, in terms of uh, my role, obviously at Denver Health, I'm the primary pharmacist in our medical ICU and I also serve as the uh, PGY2 critical care residency program director. And we've had our program since 2016. All right, so I'm Tony Mixon. Um, I grew up in Lansing, Michigan, made famous by my Magic Johnson, uh, who went to my high school. Um, I did a PGY-1 here in Denver at Presbyterian St. Luke's, and then went out and did a PGY-2 at the University of Chicago Medicine. My PGY-2 was in infectious diseases, so a little atypical for the ED setting, which I'm now an ED pharmacist for UC Health North. I rotate through a couple of places, Greeley Hospital, uh, Medical Center of the Rockies, which is our new level one, and then Poudre Valley Hospital. Perfect. So let's jump into it. The first topic we're going to talk about today is burnout. This is something that everyone's talking about. With, what, 14 or so days left of residency this year, everyone's pro probably feeling, um, even from the preceptor side of things, I think <laughs> part of what we were pretty, pretty burnt as well. But let's just go through a, a few of the questions. And again, if you guys have different questions, please reach out. If you guys are on, on Zoom in the chat, please reach out to us as well. But I, I want to talk about next, everyone here, what does the term burnout mean to you? Because every it, it's a cool thing to say now, but what does it actually mean uh, from you? And Lance, you can start us off and let us go. Yeah, I, I think of days when I just don't have energy to put forward and I, I think that that sums it up just kind of tired and, and tired in the wrong way right tired to where you're not interested in 
interested. I, I told somebody this uh, that year. I, I told Gabby over at Universal, like, no, I wasn't interested in teaching. Wow. She knows how much that means to me, right? How much teaching means And I just lost the drive for, for like a week there. And I had never done that before, right? And and um and, and so I don't know. That that's big. That's big for me to lose a drive for something I'm so passionate about. Um, and I had to kind of step back and assess. So it's an example of burnout for me. Yeah, I think you nailed it right on the headlands. Um it's it's sort of that thing where you have this passion to do all these things, you know, in your job and for whatever reason, you just don't want to do those things anymore. You know, you're stressed out. Maybe it's from work. Maybe it's from outside things. And, um, you know, I, I'm glad that we're talking about this today because it's obviously something that you know, we're hearing more and more of. Obviously, the pandemic sort of accelerated those things. And these were obviously issues um, prior to that. Uh, but certainly uh, to me, I, I think of burnout like, you know, I'm, it's like this metaphor where I'm this like candle, you know, out in nature and there's all this wind trying to like you know put you out and you're kind of just like hanging on by a thread and trying to figure out how do i balance you know all of these things that i'm juggling in order to like you know do well in my career but also do well in my personal life as well and kind of balance balance all those things so when i started thinking about what burnout meant to me jimmy like first thing that came up was just sick of the bullshit at work <laughs> figured that wouldn't be great for this podcast so I went and looked up the ICD-11 definition of it and, and basically what they talk about is this is an occupational phenomenon um, and it's a syndrome conceptualized by chronic workplace stress that's not being managed well or appropriately and it can manifest in all the ways that we've already talked about the things that we see in each other and our colleagues so feeling completely depleted of energy um, increased mental distance from your job which is one i've definitely been guilty of in the past and then the third one they talk about is reduced professional efficiency um, so just to bring a little science to the uh the original comment i think uh for me a lot of because my job and my hobbies are all pharmacy related. <laughs> so it makes it to where there's times where I feel initially it's like I felt guilty all the time for not doing something. So I think as residents, as you guys graduate, um, the first few months are always tough. Like you feel like you should be operating on that standpoint, but after a while it goes away. Unfortunately for me, I kept that going for like three or four years <laughs> after residency, but I think COVID really took a big hit on me and I worked at two EDs. So I work at Grady Atlanta and also MUSC in Charleston. So there was a period of time where prior to going to MUSC, I was in Augusta, which is a two hour drive. I had a seven on seven off shift and I would do my seven on Augusta and I would go to Grady and do like five on. <sighs> and when COVID came, there was a lot of people who were getting sick and they needed more help. So I remember the month of July, I worked every single day. And after July 2020, I worked every single day. And I think back to that, and I know it aged me in dog years. <laughs> it absolutely aged me in dog years to the point to where I didn't look back and was like, okay, I'm definitely not doing this anymore. But I still, I, I never recovered. Never recovered mentally and physically from that. And now it's to the point to where I try my best to completely cut off at times from pharmacy. Um, and the bad thing is like, I don't have one hobby as pharmacy. I don't have two hobbies. I have three, four, if you include all the other components. And now it's like, how can I still provide value in the things I do outside of work? And what I've noticed is that sometimes at work, I'm just not as 
excited to teach. I'm not as excited to be to be there. And little things aggravate me. The patient that comes in every day that leaves AMA, it frustrates me so much more at this point of the year compared to you know a, a year or two ago before I really started getting to this point. You know, it's interesting you said you, you never recovered. So I was going to ask, like, well, you're fine. You're here now. You're fine now. You're probably doing fine every day, but, right? You said, like, you never quite recovered from that. Um, and and I think that's something that we think, and, and I see younger pharmacists that, that, that do, you know, seven-on-seven-off schedule, or do PRM on a different job a few days a week. And, and I think it's important to remember, yes, we're resilient. Yes, when you're young, you're resilient, but I think it's, important to realize that can still happen it can affect you it can stick with you right? i've seen that happen from some of our our learners here in town that you know they graduate they're they go 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 and they're excited and they want to you know fulfill you know the full clinical pharmacy role and all that and uh my advice would be to watch out right take it easy mm -hmm. absolutely i think it's pretty common for residents to work like 12 on two off kind of situation so you get out and then you're making a significant amount of money and you're like, well, this 10 on four days off is the life. I've got plenty of money. I got double the time off. And I think we could do a better job of educating people on the fact that that's just not sustainable, most likely. It, just, it carries over, you know, it carries over into all aspects of your life. You know, I was an athlete and I remember doing PGY2, I think I got the smallest I've ever, I lost like 20 pounds. And I used to pride myself on just working out, eating well, doing these different things. And I remember we was, was showing me a picture. I'm like, oh, that was me doing residency, huh? <laughs> <laughs> and we used to get so used. And I think as a community, there's some things we have to do as, as pharmacists. And I, and I really want to go around. It's one of the things part of this tour. I want to ask you, well, how can we get better at this? And that's like the next step I want to go into is figuring out, like, we talked about some, well, before I get there, I want to ask what are some contributing factors? Because I think different things hit us and maybe sometimes working at the bad side is it, but the things that really grind my gears is like <laughs> some of the things that are non-patient care related. So in the, in the best way we can say it while having a job when we go back to work on Monday, what's some, what are some contributing factors to burnout for us? I can get started off on this one. Um, so I think we go through a lot of the things that all healthcare workers do, especially the ones in the emergency department and the critical carriers. We, live, we work in a very high stress, high pressure environment where we're making life and death decisions very, very quickly. Um, we're also, there's gotta be a certain amount of trauma for all of the horrible things we see. And I think part of COVID contributing to a lot of our burnout is that was increased by magnitudes, right? Um, but then there are some specific things to pharmacists and acute care pharmacists. And I would point out Megan Reck's um, publication, I think it was the premature attrition of clinical pharmacists, um, as a really good reference for things like that. So she pointed out things like the inability to generate revenue for services that we provide, which is absolutely true. Um, I also look at public perception and I always remember the story of like one of my worst days of PGY2. So my program had a 24 hour in-house on-call program. So I was the on-call resident. I was expected to run with the immunosuppressed ID team. I had the antimicrobial approval pager for those things. And I just got rocked that day. Mm -hmm. And I talked to my dad and he's like, so you're two years in, you make less than other pharmacists. What are you doing? <laughs> And it's not like I had not told him a million times the plan and the idea behind this. And if we can't convince our parents of this, what does the public think in general? 
And then you move that up the chain. And I mean, administration doesn't always have a great idea of what clinical pharmacists do. And that includes pharmacy administration, um, sadly. I think we could definitely do a better job of getting that perception up. Um, there's also, Megan pointed out, and I totally agree with this, little upward mobility. We get all this training, we land in these jobs, and we do all this great stuff. But where do we go from there? And I think historically, we see people who do well go upward. And I'm not sure, I'm willing to be a manager. I'm not sure if anybody here wants to go that route. So there's not much of that. And then lastly, just work-life balance. I mean, in pharmacy school, I was taught, you're a pharmacist, it's who you are, it's what you are, it's what you do. Residency got even worse. And I got out of school and out of residency and thought, like, what are my hobbies? What else is out there? Exactly. I know I'm a pharmacist, but there's some cool stuff around here I really want to explore. Yeah. What do you think? Yeah, you know, I, I echo a lot of the things that you said, Tony. And, uh, you know, for me, you know, kind of going through that list that you, that you kind of laid out there before, you know, it's like, you know, how do I get it all done, right? You know, Lance yeah. can probably talk to this too. It's like, okay, you know, we have our normal areas that we work in, but then we also direct residency programs. And where do you get time buy down for that? So making sure that you, know, you have adequate time sort of off service in order to be able to juggle all these things is super important. And when you don't, you just feel super stressed out. Okay. And, you know, that just builds on top of each other and that probably just accelerates sort of that burnout feeling. Um, you kind of talked about, you know, mobility as well. Yeah, totally. Like who says that, you know, as pharmacists, there's this like track of mobility that you have to go from, you know, a bedside clinician to a manager. Yeah. Maybe that's not the right way. And maybe there's like other things within pharmacy that we can sort of branch out to, you know, obviously pharmacists have like tons of skills that, you know, we, um, train in and learn. And these are things that we can definitely apply to outside of just, you know, those finite types of positions. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, something about the model and, and just kind of what we do as pharmacists in, in, in healthcare and in lots of other spots within healthcare are sort of by nature revenue generating and, and pharmacists have always been sort of cost avoidance centered. Uh, and gosh, that I think that that as your mode is sort of just just is built for burnout, right? Like all I do is avoid costs, save money, and, and enhance patient care. But in all these ways that you can't really, I mean, think about the things that we do every day. You can't document them. If you do document them, you'll be spending hours charting every night after you get home. <laughs> that's not what we do, right? But. Um, so, so, so it's this kind of inherent kind of like, like kind of trench that we're in uh, to, to where we, you know, we, we kind of, in a, along with kind of public perception, what a pharmacist does, you can't go, you know, I'm a pharmacist, and, oh my God, you're saving lives, left to right. It's like, it's like, you know, the public, I'm angry, it's in that paper too, they, they think that you're, you know, um, counting pills and, and, and doing certain things. But um but yeah, okay, so on top of all the, the clinical duties right now, okay, you know, now you have a teaching role, you take students, precepting, there's a pressure to, to do research and scholarship, um, and, and so it's very, uh, you know, a lot of, it's inherently a tough, tough role. I think you, you look at all that and you realize, you know, I put myself in a unique role where, you know, I'm a residency mentor, I'm a residency preceptor, I'm a coordinator. And doing these things for my my job and then i think about my role for the greater ed acute care community and the things that i do in podcasts and trying to advocate for us where does it stop 
you know, where does it stop? What are the things we have to do? What, what are other things I have to do? And who respects that? I remember the, the funniest story. I remember I was talking with someone. I was like, I work in the ER. I, I try to make it as simple as possible so they don't ask because it's going to be wrong every single time. And I remember it was like, what, what are you doing at ER? I was like, I'm a pharmacist. Like, oh, so you must count pills like really fast. <laughs> 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 and I'm like, okay. And I remember I was out with one of my, one of the ER residents and his wife was a you nurse. And I'm like, oh, obviously, you know what I do. And it's like, you keep those crash carts filled, don't you? I was like, I don't replace mm. the crash carts. Like, you're a you nurse. Yeah. I'm like, he's like, no, he doesn't do that at all. Like, he, he like, stays <laughs> like, that's what he does. Like, it is so, it's so challenging to have that as a perception. I have cer- a certain level of frustration from a, uh, advocacy standpoint on Capitol Hill, to be honest. I've been getting that same email about providers that is since I was a student. Uh, if we can't build, we can't do the things that show the value. And unfortunately, for the greater public in the C-suite, uh, dollars matter. And if we're not able to reduce that, I'm thinking about culture callbacks. I'm thinking about the time we put at the bedside from a toxicology standpoint. All the things that we're doing that are like consults that we get, all the kinetics, all the things that we do, Everyone else in the hospital system bill for those things. We just say we avoided some yeah. costs. <laughs> like cost avoidance is like it's great. Like, how many studies I, I can count off my hand? Again, people here have produced studies that said one million dollars, two million dollars, six million dollars. We we've saved this. Our mortality has decreased. We've done all these things. Our compliance with guidelines are better in every disease state. Every pharmacist and every every physician in acute care. Uh, you, you start adding on pharmacists and specialty pharmacy everywhere. Everywhere else is they're finding a way to do these things, but we're just hanging on by a thread. So that, that's frustrating. Um, and that's what made me really want to focus on how can I push from a different perspective? Like, should I publish research or should I travel the country and figure out what people are doing and highlight what we're doing as, as ED pharmacists, as acute care pharmacists, and really show what we can really do if given an opportunity? Like, what should I spend my time doing? Um, if I publish a, a, a hundred podcasts on things that are valuable getting guests from all over is that just as important as a review paper so it's frustrating and then when you speak with administration some people have administration that understands most that i've been able to communicate with do not they don't know what i do in the er they don't know what what i do to say you, you verify this many orders like, well i i can i can point to you a patient that i made a recommendation on in a cardiac arrest and they walked out of the hospital a week later and the entire team said that that recommendation is the one thing that changed the patient from being dead versus being alive and walking out. Like, how do you, how you put that on paper? So it's frustrating when the things that you got into this profession for, what really makes you feel good at night. When I went home that night, you know, the, the provider said, make sure you tell your family that you saved someone's life today. And I never forget that. But I tell my, my, my administration that like, well, how would you do that? The, 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 the physician knows. It's like, so long story short there's a few different things just misconception not advocating and we need to get paid for these things we need to have an additional ladder to be able to go not just within pharmacy and just do bedside manager yeah because now with the 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 admin residents and admin resident give me but you're not getting to be like a system director a director for for the most part any bigger healthcare system that most acute care pharmacists are in. Most acute care pharmacists are associated with the University of XYZ. Yeah. And most of the places have 
administration resident, and they're going to get those positions with, you know, 12 rotations of experience. <laughs> I'd be interested to know. So public perception is really bad. Does anybody have any ideas on how we can fix that outside of what's been tried? Just spitball in here. <laughs> you know, I don't, I'm not sure there's a magic bullet here. I mean, we clearly have all these studies that say, wow, pharmacists are really burned out. But no clear guidance of, well, how do we fix that? <laughs> and, you know, it's, it's a multifactorial problem. And I think from like an acute care perspective, it has to start from the top. Like it has to start at the top of your leadership and has to trickle down that this, like we have to change the culture, right? The culture of um, trying to do too many things with limited time, with not enough resources is not the best model to do these things. And so, you know, how do you do that? You know, logistically, I don't know, but it, I think it's multifactorial and it has to start with, you know, your management or leadership team and uh, or from your department from the top down. Yeah, it's, it's certainly multifactorial. And, and, and Jimmy, you mentioned, you know, the fire status and it's the same, you know, for even more years. I've listened for even more years on the promise of the fire status. Some say, oh, we've got it in the state and that's like, you know, it's just, just, Really, there's there's a there's a lack of it overall, right? There's a there's a lack of legislation, and, and, and it's just, we're so confined by by regulatory statutes. You know, that's the nature of our of our of our business. Um, but uh, I think I think that would be one super helpful thing. Um, but also, you know, this is public uh, media uh, perception. Uh, uh, we're just hospital pharmacists, clinical pharmacists are, are sort of hidden. Um, you know, Jimmy, I was just thinking, you said you've got a lot of energy to focus, so it's like, with media, you've got a lot of energy, I'm thinking, you create like a, a, like an ER reality show, like reality show or ER for just, you know, go. ER, forget the physician reports to the pharmacist, you know, right? you know, and, and, uh, and everybody else does, and it's, a, you know, it's somebody, but it could really highlight, you know, that, um, I don't know, we should work on that. It's just intriguing, because I think about this. I'm going to put it, I'm going to try my best to not ruffle some feathers. There's papers that are written and designed by pharmacists, 90%, and we're not the primary author of that paper. Someone hands us this, well, I need your help with this. And you do all the work and that attention, that credit, those awards, those, those research dollars and funding goes to other groups. That happens quite often. I spoke about this at SECM last year about how, again, we're doing all this work and we're the group that's like the, we're, we're the nerd that does the homework for the jock in terms of inform. <laughs> that's what we are. Like we're actually doing all this stuff, but then now it's getting to the point to where, okay, I want, I, I, I want my recognition too. And, and unfortunately, I should say fortunately, recognition is going to be recognition for services billing. One. The second part is we need more lobbying to the right mm-hmm. people because obviously that's where all this is going. So I'm, there's certain organizations that a lot of people are paying paying dues to every year, and I want to know where those dues are going, and or I would like to see how can we push those dues to wherever everyone what the AMA is doing. Mm-hmm. You can't do anything without, without AMA publishing the report. I remember they tax Lovin. Tax Lovin. They said that they are best suited to take, take care of the 52 pages of drug directions. <laughs> if there's any clinical pharmacist or any, any physician that's here, I've never heard them say, Jimmy, 
you can sit this one out. <laughs> I'm going to take care of this right now. I've never heard that before. I've never heard them say that. And now I'm looking at myself like, why wasn't there something big done? We wrote a letter to them. We told them we don't stand by that. It was all inclusive. And it's like, when something happens in the nursing association, they knock that down. When something happens in the medical association, they shut it down. We're the only one. We wait a week or two. And it's a very kumbaya message about what should happen. And the way I'm looking at things, and we talked about this at the Empower Conference, is that I'm, I want to start, again, at least with an ED pharmacy, organize ourselves into a position, make sure we're, we're, we're punching where everyone else is punching. We're putting our, our, our mouths and our dollars where everyone else is doing it to get us the, the, the respect and then put us where we deserve to be. We're not trying to overtake anyone in their position. We, we need to be where if there's medications involved, I believe the pharmacist should be there. Every guideline that has a significant amount of drugs involved, a pharmacist should be there. So that's one thing for me. Yeah, be proactive, initiative. You kind of named those two organizations that have a ton of lobbying power, and how do we, you know, combat that? Is yeah. the big question. They come together, have one focus. Like every everyone should just say, okay, no matter the, the National Association of Blank 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 Pharmacists. Everyone come together. We want to provide a status. How can we do that? Not in rural areas only where the majority of our resources are not there. We want to provide a status across the board. Across the board. And if you look at that provider status list, there's people who are in a variety of professions. But I say that with our training and our skill set and the things that we provide at the bedside, we deserve to be this way. I'll keep it simple as that. Absolutely. All right, I don't. I want to go from there. Let's talk about some things that we've we've done to help. Um, some ways that to prevent burnout for ourselves. We all have different things. That again, this is not uh, a ending cycle. For me, burnout means like, what can I do for this week? How can I make it better for this week? What are some things you guys are doing in your personal lives, or what are some things you guys are going to recommend to your learners? Some strategies to help them, you know, make this a marathon and, and not get burnt out halfway through. Yeah. Stop taking students. <laughs> Absolutely not, right? So we can't, uh, we can't stop taking learners. I think you know there's an art to to um, resetting in a creative fashion, right? And I think we all know that. We all try to teach that too. Uh, but 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 you know, resetting can be can be tough. It can be um, uh, you know time commitment. Like well, uh, you know this. Uh, yeah, it can be a time commitment. So it's it's I think being creative about it and um, you know picking tasks and just trying to try to integrate integrate learners um, in the department, giving them a lot of, uh, of, of uh, you know more uh, a lot more capability. I guess uh, for lack of a better term, uh, uh, giving them uh, learning takes uh, the initiative on some stuff. But um, but but aside from you know, aside from that, you know, I mentioned that earlier perception. But um, I think uh, mentorship is really important, right? Uh, in terms of you know young pharmacists uh, and even senior pharmacists, kind of find find mentors, finding friends uh, to, to talk about burnout, to talk about how it's tough, how can we fix things? You know, Andy and I talk uh, you know on a somewhat regular basis, more and more uh, about about this and like. Gosh, down our necks on this and that. How, how can we do this? How can we, uh, how can we make things better and, and, and keep ourselves uh, sane? Yeah. Yeah, I think there's some pretty, I don't know, 
easy, small things that you can do on a mm-hmm. practical basis. Like, you know, if you're not at work or you're on PTO or you're on vacation somewhere, like, don't check your email. Don't respond to things that you don't have to urgently respond to. Um, you know, I think that's an easy way to sort of keep yourself sane and separate your personal life from your work life. Um, you know, additionally, like, you know, it's okay to say no to some things, you know, we're all busy people here. And like, I know we get asked a bunch of different requests to, Hey, can you help work on this protocol or this guideline? Or, Hey, can you uh, do some of this research? Can you look at this data? You know, we're all human here. And I think it's, you know, we all have our limits and it's okay to say like, you know, I kind of have too much on my plate right now and I, I'm not sure I get to this, you know, maybe in the future we can revisit, yeah. you know, doing these things. So I've got kind of a tangential story, but stick with me here. I'm going to bring it back. All right. Uh, because it did is one of the things that really helped me with burnout ultimately. Um, so year out, out of PGY2, I'm reading the book. Um, I think it was Outliers by Gladwell, but uh, it has a section in it about Alaskan sled dogs, right? So for the longest time, for decades, they're breeding these sled dogs, the ones that pull a sled to win like the Iditarod. They're breeding them for size, speed, strength, all the things you'd think of. And they did this for decades. And the best breeders typically won. Um, they got to a point where they were having kind of incremental increases in how strong these dogs are and how well they would pull a sled. But the some of the best breeders and I don't know, you call them mushers, sled dog drivers, whatever you want to call them, noticed there were still differences in these dogs. Um, And it was more of a psyche. There were some dogs that were just very high motor that wanted to pull that sled, that needed to pull that sled, that were uncomfortable not pulling that sled. And those mushers tended to win because they started breeding for that aspect. And it was at that moment when I thought like, holy hell, I'm that dog. Like I need to go. Um, And when I experienced burnout, and when I experience anxiety and things like that, it's because I'm somewhat idle and not really working towards anything. I feel like a lot of, obviously you, but a lot of us in this profession have that issue and we have a hard time being idle versus working on something meaningful. So not only is it something that's very important to me, so I, I do this in a very literal reason or way. I tend to mountain bike, ski a ton, trail run a ton, and that's one of the big things for me, but it doesn't necessarily need to be something physical. It, it can even be tied into work to a degree. I've had times where preventing burnout for me has been working on a study in a reasonable time frame, knowing like, hey, I've got patient care duties, but in the background, I've got this study that ultimately helps me to feel a little more well-rounded, feel like I'm doing something meaningful and not feel idle, most importantly, because that's a sign of burnout for me. So talk to my learners, colleagues, things like that, about that quite a bit. Those are big things. I'll jot a few things down as you guys were talking. And a few things came up for me because if you guys haven't noticed, I have ADHD. Shocker. And I have to go. I've always had to go. I've always, again, when I, when I play football, that was just one of the things like, oh, he's, this guy's going to, he's not going to get tired. He's going to be very aggressive. He's going to do his thing. And I've always wanted to just strive after something. So it was normal when I came from football to pharmacy, I was like, oh, okay, people here are not the same. They're, they don't know what it's like to wake up at three o'clock in the morning and do these different things. Like, I'm really going to crush this. And I'm, I'm noting to myself, like, year after year, like, I'm still keeping them up. I'm, see, I'm still keeping up. I'm okay. And then, of course, COVID changed a few things. And I noticed I can't continue to do this and spend time with my family. I can't continue to do this and not spend time. So I think one of the things that I've noticed, spending time and being there is different. I can be there and on Twitter, 
Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, you can go run around and do those different things. I, I can do that. But, like, I've now gotten to a point to where I'm just not doing anything but what's in front of me. And that's helped me significantly. I'm like, oh, I forgot. I have to go to work today because I'm so involved in something else. And now I've compartmentalized all these things to where I'm not checking my email. I'm not, I'm not going to do anything. And one of the things I've learned to do is that I get very excited when I have an interesting project. And I notice the time frame that I think I can do it in, now I double it. So if I think I can get this done in a, in a week, I double it. Or if I, if I, if I want to meet with you next week, I meet with you the week after that. <laughs> so I, push, I keep pushing these things back because notice I, I noticed that my excitement wears off and then like the reality kicks in and I notice what, whether I want to do it or not. And I've now gotten to the point to where a lot of people ask me to do stuff now. <laughs> the, the more people have, the more of the, the brand has grown, the more stuff has happened. Like, oh, can you make this for me? Can you visit here? Can you come there? And I now say, I'll get back to you in a week. And I, I put a pause between the need to act and not, because we're, we're great at acting right now. Like my, my best moments, it's like, Jimmy, oh my God, go to room one. Patients came in there. We don't know what's going on. Get in, do those things. I'm phenomenal at that. And I, now I'm like, okay, now let's, let's take that and pause and leave, leave that skill where it needs to be. Now let's figure out what's going to be sustainable. Because I, I don't think the way I, I was practicing last year, especially in 2020, I don't think that I can continue that for 10 years. And I love this. I, I want to be a pharmacist since I was 16 years old. Um, I knew within one hour of my first like application, I want to be any pharmacist. So I just I, I'm one of those guys where like, oh, that's it. I know it. This is it. Oh, for my wife. Oh, that's it. There we go. That's it. <laughs> so it's like one of those things. So now I'm looking at all these things. So like making sure you don't take these things too far and separate. So where when I, I when I when I'm at MUSC, MUSC you get it all. As soon as 11 o'clock comes, that's it. <laughs> that's mm-hmm. it. I'm not working on a project at home. I'm not answering an email. And you may think I'm a certain, whatever you want to call me for that, but that is it. When I'm working on my platform, I've now got it set up to where I'm so hard, you get this period of time. And that's it. When it's time to relax and do things, I try to give myself these time frames and block those things out and work in certain blocks because if you don't, you're just always going. You're always going, and we're not built that way. Yeah, protecting time, your own time is what Aiden mentioned. I don't know it's a common theme here, but, but also, you know, Jimmy, you mentioned some, and I think it's realistic time management, mm-hmm. right? And it's, a, it's kind of a learned skill. We all want to please, right? And mm-hmm. it's sort of the nature of the, the clinical pharmacist role, right? We were kind of, we, we want to do, we want to, we want to perform, we want to. Uh, make everyone in the room happy, and, um, and and I think that that carries over to project management, and, and it's and, and I like your strategy there, right? If I think I can do it in a week, let's say two weeks. Give yourself some breathing room, right? And I think we too often sort of commit, yeah. and and then it puts pressure on ourselves. And a lot yeah. of us are sort of perfectionists, or and, or, it, and it doesn't do matter that. really. At the end of the day, I think about it: is someone gonna? We get to see this author. Is someone gonna die? Because of us not having this project coming this time. No. <laughs> I think we get locked into that residency like, really time frame. Is. You know? Like, well, like, I, haven't, I haven't been in residency in years, but I still like, oh my God, my academic's going to get me. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
a, a lot of times <laughs> I have to take a step back and access like, does this really matter? Yeah. Like we're we're yeah. an expert at uh, identifying something and figuring out what's the impact going to be to our, our patients, to our teams, to everything else. But realistically, does it matter? And then does it matter the way you think it does? Does it matter the time you're spending in the office doing that versus the time you can be spending with your family? Does it matter like not going on vacation for years? Like I think back now it's like COVID taught me. Cause I was like, I, I had never been on a vacation with my own until I went, I went to Vegas for two days in 2019. And I told myself after that, I'm going to go on vacation and do all these things and COVID happened. And I couldn't go anywhere. And then it was like, okay, now I'm nervous. All right. Now I have a, and have, I have another kid. It's like, okay, wow. One, one couple months can turn into three years like, like that. So don't push it back. The things that you can see and do now and like, does it, again, does it matter at the end of the day? And I think it's different now. And I think that's things that help, help with burnout for me. And I tell my residents, give yourself time and grace. Like complete the project, yes. If we, if it has to be done, yes. But outside of that, <laughs> I, think, I think pharmacy has made this fake world where none of our other colleagues have to go through. Like other residency programs that are doctoral in, in, in nature, um, they don't do the type of research projects that we're required to do and push out the stuff that we require. And I think uh, Frank in Chicago, he talked about this. Many people have many opinions about our required research projects and manuscripts. Uh, I think research is important. I think the manner in which we do certain things is interesting. I <laughs> No, I, I totally agree with you there. And it's like, maybe we need to take, you know, a deeper look in, you know, our residency training requirements. It's like, what are the things that are really important? Like when your resident comes out, are they just going to do projects all day long? Mm -hmm. No, they're going to take care of patients, right? So they want to be, you want to provide them with the most meaningful experiences in a very short period of time. And that may not be, you know, do five MUEs. Yeah. I know it's one girl on Twitter. I don't know her name. She's like one of those, like, Anonymous people, like she's famous for complaining about residency. Flawless Farm. Flawless Farm. Shout out to her. I've like, seen like that. she's like built a platform based off just I, whatever whatever residency she goes to, I feel bad for. <laughs> it is like it must be. Like, <laughs> but it's like you think about that, and like part part of those things are like true. Like part of how it makes you feel is that way. And I think about the things from residency that I really value, and it's like. I never remember thinking, oh my God, I'm so happy at this MV. <laughs> I remember being at the bedside and like someone saying, hey, do this. I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing, but okay. okay. You didn't, didn't enjoy sitting next to like a half done poster at mid year? <laughs> well, nobody comes by. Yeah, and like your piece of walk by. Yeah, she looks great. And all, yeah, we, we can't reimburse you that whole 500 bucks you paid for registration. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, the emphasis on budget and research is, is sort of disproportionate, right? Yeah. It's like, you know, okay, take all 70 or 80 PGY2 EM programs, right? You know, maybe, gosh, it would be cool if you could, you know, uh, split off, like maybe, maybe you could choose to whether your PGY2 EM program is more of a research academic yeah. focus one mm -hmm. or not. Because we all know there's a lot of community-based ones. And, yeah. and, and you might want to apply to a program that's a little less research-based, or you want to apply to one that's more research-based, right? But 
you know, how many other professions that have a one-year residency or a two-year, you know, post-grad residency program are required to do this many projects and, and, and publish and all this stuff, right? Four-year emergency medicine residents is one of the best in the country, right? In the street, throughout their four years, they're encouraged to do, a, you know, a major project. They don't have to. They're, you know, can get involved with research if they want to, but you can go through the whole four, four years and focus on something else. Yeah. It's four years, right? And we, we mandate that all of our residents do a you know, major research project and get published all that. And that's great, but it's, it's disproportionate. I don't think it should be required. And correct me if I'm wrong, because again, I'm, I've chosen to do podcasting and not research. So how many, what is the, the percentage of all residents research project that gets published? I'm over two. It's, uh, they'll, they'll, they'll even they'll run through seven months at a publication. Suitable publication. Like, yeah. I, I tried, I submitted my PGYC project three times. I'm like, I thought it was pretty good. <laughs> for someone who like that did research, I'm like, this is actually pretty solid for me. Like, I'm actually proud of this. Deny, deny, deny. Yeah, I mean, how many years to sit on a shelf somewhere? Yeah. Where you can dust it off. It has to be less than 5%. That's okay. It's, you know, that's what I'm saying. Like, I, would, I would accept that, yeah. I'll say it has to be less than 5%. And like our focus thing, I have I have a form academic evaluation right now ready for me for a research project and then another project that was, but all the bedside stuff, I don't know even where to put that. So, this is real. Well, in a, in a frank this year. Oh, yeah. We'll, we'll see them in two weeks. So, frank uh, <laughs> to tell you that, you know, a lot of the research projects are doomed and projects are sort of doomed because uh, people and residents and researchers aren't asking the right research question. And, and, I, and I, I, I've seen that. I've done that. I, I, I think because, you know, one year, you got 12 months to do a full, you know, thing. It's, it's, it's a tough timeline. It's a tough project. And I'm going to be honest, most of it's trash. <laughs> Let's be honest. And like we do it because we have to. We submit the stuff. You absolutely like, have to. There's no option. This is, I'm not going to read this. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm going to be honest. Like, I feel bad. I'm just going to put it out there. And you guys may hate me. And somebody who's like really big into research may hate me. But most of these studies are like. It's because that's what you can get done in 12 months. Yeah. And that's the quality. You're gonna get. Okay. I, I, we're going we're gonna to digress. We, we, we definitely tackle burnout and, and how poor research is. And then. Interesting enough, we'll be talking about research and pharmacy education at Chicago in a couple of weeks. So we'll, we'll continue that conversation there. You're making um, me want to get my co-list and PGY2 project published now. I just need a few drugs to go out of favor. All right. Any, any last words on burnout, guys? It's like a few things we can do. Um, just summarize everything we've kind of talked about. It's just focusing on the things that really matter to us, saying no to things that you know, have to time management is going to be key. And focusing on the things that you really want to that gives you passion. Um, there's a lot of things that we, again, I'm now looking more into like real estate. I've gotten into stocks. I've gotten into all these things that I knew nothing about, but I did not have time. Like the only thing I had time to do is understand the history of a 1906 when Effie was first getting into a <laughs> Because that's my reason. There is a big world outside of pharmacy and we get yeah. wrapped up in it. And it certainly is, yeah. And I think, you know, us as like, you know, preceptors or you know rpds or you know what have you your association with your residents it's like you know we can model good behavior mm -hmm. and we can teach like 
what is good balance yeah. and encourage residents to you know, go take take your PTO, you know, take all the PTO that you're allowed to during your residency year, you know, like go have fun too. Yeah. This is like, you know, this is a short period of time. We're going to learn lots of stuff, but at the same time, like you should have fun too. With it. I think you, we spent all this time. I think you really go through most of your, your 20s preparing and training for this. And it's always one thing after the next. And what I usually see, no one talks about is the, I call it post-graduation depression. Who am I? What do I have to do? When I was in pharmacy, when, when, I, when I was an undergrad, I want to get to pharmacy school. I went to pharmacy school. I want to get to PGY one. Do one, do two. And then you like, you're supposed to get a job. And then you're like, oh, I have no hobbies. <laughs>